Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Thank you, Steve and Shannon, for leading us this morning. And I love that hymn. Uh, if you're not familiar with that hymn, the title is He Will Hold Me Fast. Uh, so I encourage you to. Uh, continue to uh, familiarize yourself with it. And it is a tremendous uh, hymn that basically communicates Scripture. It makes me think of Philippians 1, 6. I am, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. And uh, that is great news for us because we won't uh, traverse this, this world, we won't traverse this planet uh, without the... Uh, uh, impact of sin, sin of others, our own personal sin. And so I'm grateful that uh, he who began a work in me, he who began a good work in you, will complete it into the day of Christ Jesus. So grateful for that. Thank you guys for leading us this morning. Well, if you have a copy of God's Word, don't turn to Philippians 1.6. Turn to John chapter 8. Uh, John chapter 8. We're going to begin in verse 39 and go to verse 47. Verse 39 and go to verse 47. And our theme or our title today is, Who is your father? Now, I almost entitled it, Who is your daddy? Uh, and I thought, well, uh, maybe not. Uh, so I didn't, I didn't want that. If that's all that was on the, the entrance sign out front, I thought that may not be uh, uh, too helpful. They're like, what is that church uh, doing or thinking? Uh, but that is the modern-day connotation of, uh, what we're trying to try to discern today is who's your daddy? And that, uh, if you've seen uh, individuals talking or, or communicating, if you're, uh, you watched any movies, it reminds me of the old Disney movie. movie. I say old, uh, older, uh, the Disney movie, um, Remember the Titans, where uh, at that particular time it was a, about two schools being integrated. And if you don't understand what that was, before uh, recent modern days there was uh, for different culturals, uh, cultures, so for a white school, all white school, all black school. This was uh, before the 60s, uh, and it began to be integrated 60s, 70s. Uh, this is when that uh, was when they two high schools were being uh, merged together, all black school and all white school, uh, to form a new school, and it created lots of difficulty and. Uh, there was lots of issues with, related to race that still is manifesting its ugly head in our time today. But that's, that's what was going on. And at this particular time, there was uh, a staff of coaches that were coaching football, and they were going to go off to summer camp. And uh, this is the time the, the athletes were really just beginning to get together and spend some time together. And so uh, one of the players approached, the white uh, player, uh, All-American, approached their new uh, black coach, uh, and at that time was telling him that how he could run the program. And, uh, and at that particular time, the coach put him in his place and uh, instructed him who the daddy was on the team. And that if you're going to play for my football team, you need to acknowledge, young man, who is your daddy? Who, who runs this thing? Who, who's, who has the rules? Who, who, whose rules are you going to follow? 
And if you're going to be on my football team, you follow my rules. And so it's in some ways spoke of who has authority, who, uh, who runs the show. And that's kind of the way it's meant when we use it kind of in a derogatory term of you talk down to someone, condescending to them, that who's your daddy? But then it has, of course, more positive connotations with it as well. And then we, we think about um, a person's father and who their daddy is or who their father is. And, and you can communicate about, uh, especially if your father is a man who walks with integrity, uh, a man who is, is wise and is kind and is gracious and benevolent. Uh, and you can think about, uh, man, I, I knew your father, and uh, I hope you turn out to be as good of a man, people might say, as your father. I know who your father is. And, um, and many times, even in our culture, we, uh, we can say, man, you're a spitting image of your father, right? And that can be that in a good way or a negative way if you're speaking to someone as it relates to their in-laws and be like, you're acting just like your father right now, right? Or uh, you're acting like your mother right now. Um, and so ultimately what it's speaking of is that there's various uh, mannerisms that you, you portray or that you just look very similar to that person and you respond in very similar ways. And this is all true uh, as to how we utilize uh, the framework. And uh, we begin to think about that. The absence of fathers is important. Uh, you begin to think about um, fatherhood and how there's so many cultural, social problems as it relates to uh, our world, even without a biblical worldview, without a biblical perspective, uh, that is a direct result of uh, the home and the family unit being uh, broken and not working the way God had designed it to um, and as, relate, as, a, as it relates to sin. And so um, fatherhood is extremely important. And then even how the Bible then relates to us as children. And that's really the connotation that we're going to be diving into today as you think about the way the Bible addresses us, it basically addresses us as having one of two fathers. And that's how we're going to be looking at and how we're going to be spending our time today. Despite the fact of your um, biological uh, fatherhood, paternal uh, relation or relationships, uh, whether you know your father or if you, maybe you were adopted or, or uh, maybe you have a stepfather that has stepped in and, and has, has proven to be the father that you you needed in your life, or however your situations, a myriad of situations could be in this. Or maybe you didn't grow up with a father, and you had a, a mother who was um, was faithful, and maybe um, uh, through a variety of different circumstances um, um, gave you a, a good model and even spoke well of your biological father, despite the fact you may not have known him. Or you knew your biological father, and, and you wish you had not, and it was a difficult situation, and it was, it, there was a physical abuse or other things that might have transpired, our fathers impact us. And the impact that fatherhood happens in our individual basis um, uh, can be many times how we review our eternal father, how we look at God in, those, in, in ways or in other ways, uh, how we wouldn't look at God as, as a father who would be faithful, who would hold us fast, who would defend us, who would come to our aid because our earthly fathers did not. But if we begin to look at, despite all those things, all the ways this term could be used, the Bible would basically speak of two different families that reside on this planet with two different fathers. And that's where we're going to be this morning. So John chapter 8, beginning in verse 39, we'll read to verse 47. We'll pray and then we'll uh, dive into explaining the text. So John 8, 39, it says, They answered him, this will be the believing Jews, back in the passage that Tim led us last week, the Jews who had believed in him or had confessed they believed in him, They answered him, Abraham is our father. 
And Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You are doing the works your father did. And they said to him, we're not born of sexual immorality. We're not illegitimate children. We have one father, even God. And Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me, for I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desire. Father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell you the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. Father, we ask that you would speak clearly through your word to us this morning. Help us to have understanding. Lord, and help us to apply this text to our own lives. Lord, as it relates to self-examination and, Lord, even in the helpful examination of others. And that, Lord, that we would be our brother's keeper. That, Lord, that we would desire the, uh, to minister to others. That, Lord, we would help them to be able to think biblically um, as it relates to your word. And that, Lord, that we would help warn individuals who potentially have false professions of faith that claim to be believers, claim to be followers, claim to trust you, and yet do not hear your word, do not receive your word, do not understand your word. And so, Lord, I pray that that would be the case this morning. I pray for everyone to hear in my voice. That today would be a day that it would affirm and confirm, continue to exhort and encourage that they are in the faith as they hear this message. And then, Lord, for others who would be to hear in my voice, who would maybe be confused of whether they're genuinely Christians or maybe acknowledge that they're not, that, Lord, this morning they would, be, they would heed the warning from your word. In order to be encouraged to turn from their sin and place their faith and trust in you. And Lord, realize that uh, for all who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, Lord, all who trust in him, be given the right to become children of yours. And so, Lord, that's what we desire for this morning, is that salvation and sanctification would transpire, would take place in this room. And so, Lord, may we worship Uh, worship you under your word this morning. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, just to keep a little bit of context, make sure that we're keeping this together. If you remember, this is all transpiring about six months prior to Jesus is going to go to uh, the Passover feast. And he's at that time where he will be, that'll be Holy Week, be Passion Week. So in six months from with the writing that uh, is taking place or in the narrative that we find ourselves in this morning, about six months from now, uh, we will be at Passover week, we will be at Passion week, and um, uh, Jesus will be crucified on the cross. And so the three years of ministry is, is, is coming to the Lord, latter portions of, of our time. You think, well, man, we're just at John chapter 8. Uh, we've got 21 chapters. Well, a lot of John transpires during Passion week, so we're going to spend a large majority of our time in that week and the, the, uh, uh, the events that transpire 
uh, during the Passover feast. But this currently, we remember we're at the feast of the Jews, the feast of booths. And so this is where Jesus had communicated that he would uh, grant living water. And as a result of that, that it would flow from their hearts. Uh, there'd be out of their hearts would flow living water, and anyone thirsts of them come to him. And later on, he in that same day he spoke that he is the light of the world, and whoever follows him will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And so Jesus is communicating to them, and then some would communicate that they back to him, that they follow him, that they believe in him. And last week, as Pastor Tim uh, taught the word. That ultimately, they, if they did believe him, if they were genuine followers of him, then they would receive the truth, and that truth would set them free. And from that, the very last statement is made. Jesus says in verse 38, I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do, not, and you do what you have heard from your father. And it's at that moment that they reply to him, Abraham is our father. And Jesus uh, begins to challenge that thinking. He's wanting to communicate to them, do you understand who is your father? And that's where we want to be able to spend our day this morning, to be able to look at that. And so I'm just going to kind of walk through uh, kind of the opposites. You're going to see two basic fathers, and we're going to walk through those. And then from that, uh, two uh, different ways of living this life. And then at the very, very end, we're going to just uh, bring a conclusion to that with some application points of the big so what. What do we do with this after we break down this text. So let's just navigate through this. The first thing I want you to see, there's two different fathers. Well, then who are those fathers? If we're talking about who's your father, who are the different fathers that the Bible addresses here? And ultimately, it's going to only gives us two options. Uh, they're going to address that Abraham is their father. They mean that metaphorically, and they mean that uh, uh, metaphorically to be able to say they live for God. Abraham was a friend of God. And so as a result, one of the fathers is God, God himself. He said, Abraham is our father. And Jesus communicated back to them, well, if that was the case, if you were actually Abraham's children, then you would be doing the work that Abraham did. And so, uh, but that's not what they were doing. And so verse 41, you were doing the works of your father. Uh, and then verse 42, Jesus would be able to communicate, if God were your father, this would be the case. And so the first thing that be able to, for us to see is that um, there's a, uh, uh, a father that can be yours, that maybe is yours, and that's for people who genuinely turn from their sin, place their faith and trust in Jesus, those who believe and do not, um, and those who believe and persist, meaning those who will continue to believe. What we have to understand, and even what this passage is attempting to communicate to us in its entirety, not just what we're looking at today, but what we've looked at in the preceding weeks and what uh, we will even look at next week is, many will believe in Christ, uh, and many will believe in Christ for a while. The difference is, is will they remain? Will they persevere to the end? And that's the distinction. That's the difference between those who are genuine followers of Christ, those who have been born from above, and those who are not. And so many people will profess faith in Christ. Many people who will believe for a while, and as, as the, the, the parable of the sower and the seed, uh, the sower and the soil speaks of, ultimately, they re- may receive the word for a moment, may receive the word for a season, and it sprouts up as if it's going to grow but then it doesn't persist. It doesn't remain. And that's why if you look at those different soils, the first three soils are unbelievers. They, they only persist for a while. They only receive uh, the Lord's teaching for a season as it's convenient for them. And then some don't even receive it at the beginning. The very first soil, if you remember, is the, uh, the wayward path. It's the path that had been beaten down. It had not been tilled up and it had not been uh, prepared. And so as a result, the seed never is able to get into the dirt. 
and able to germinate and actually produce a plant. The other two produces plants and ultimately through persecution or, or drought, if you will, is how it's re- related to the metaphor, uh, that it, per, it doesn't have root in and of itself, and so then it dies. And the other one falls amongst the thorns, and the thorns choke it out, and ultimately it dies. It doesn't persist. But then the final soil, the one that's on the good soil, springs up and bears fruit, some 30, 60, 100-fold. And so ultimately, genuine believers will reproduce themselves, right? Hence, the Great Commission at the very end of Matthew's Gospel, go and make disciples of all the nations, right? Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. Reproduction, reproduce yourself. And so there's the imagery and the picture there. And so for us, for those who are children of God, for those who God is our Father, then ultimately we should be wanting to reproduce ourselves and that we would remain in the truth. The truth set us free. We would remain in the truth. And as a result of that, we'd be teaching that truth to others, that Christ is our Father. And this is exactly what Jesus is critiquing, that God is not your Father. So then that's one of the fathers. Who's the only other option that's left? And the Bible would speak of, Jesus teaches here, the other option, the other father would be the devil. Now, in this, uh, he, he says in verse 44, you are of your father, the devil. And so, and ultimately, they, you, you do what your father desires to do. So when we speak of two different fathers, this is the, the two options you have. Now, in that, what I want to make sure I'm clear about, despite the fact that you're the end uh, you're a, a part of the uh, God is your father or you're a, uh, you're or the devil is your father. What I don't want to communicate when you think about those two is simply this and you kind of some kind of simplistic way as if uh, these are these are equal powers from different and different ways. Right. And so because there's two fathers and both these fathers are really strong, and both these fathers are really big and really tough. And clearly both of the fathers are, are stronger or more powerful than we are. I don't want to communicate, and you don't need to try to read into this passage or even uh, this understanding of two different fathers. That's the only two options you have, spiritually speaking. But I don't want to communicate. I want you to hear. I don't want you to understand, taking away dualism. And ultimately, there's God, and there's the devil, and they're battling it out. No, the Bible teaches absolutely with complete clarity that the devil is a fallen angel that was created by God. And as a result of that, God, our Father, if, if you... Our, uh, uh, if God is your father, then ultimately he is sovereign over all things, and even the devil uh, has to submit to him. And so I don't want you hearing anything. Well, there's only two options here. Either God's our father, the devil's our father, then this is dualism, and there's this battle going on. Well, there's a battle going on, but it's within restraints and limits, and, and basically God has the devil on a leash, right? And so I don't want to communicate there's equality in that, or and I'm not communicating that, but I don't want you to hear that if you were to just perceive or read into certain things uh, what we're not communicating and what the passage clearly is not communicating here is that just because there's two options spiritually as it relates to fatherhood doesn't mean that those two fathers are equal clearly god our father for those who are born again is the greater of the two and so i want you to see but regardless there's your options and it's exactly the options that jesus lays out before them this, this morning now you may think well they said abraham is our father that would be a third option ultimately abraham was, once again, synonymous with the kingdom of God, uh, ultimately because of the fact that God called Abraham, and he was the father of many nations, he was the father of many children, and ultimately the promise of the Messiah was going to come from Abraham, and so he fell under um, the kingdom of God, and so that's why there's only two primary fathers. And this is what the confusion is surrounding. They think they're 
descendants, uh, because they're descendants of Abraham, which Jesus does not critique. If you go back um, before in verse 37, Jesus says, I know that you are the offspring of Abraham. So Jesus, he says, I get it. I understand the land and the lineage, the land that was promised to, uh, to Abraham, the lineage that was promised to Abraham, and that you're dwelling in the land and you possess, uh, you're a part of the lineage. And so I get it. But what Jesus is trying to communicate to you simply because Abraham is your direct, uh, you're a direct descendant to Abraham does not equate that you're actually a child of God. And so this is what he's trying to communicate. So there's two different fathers. And as a result, there's two different families. And this is exactly what Jesus is pressing in here. The two different family language. He wants them to understand that ultimately you're, you're responding uh, as a spitting image of your father. That language is, is clear here. That language is what's trying to be communicated. You will naturally do what you were created and in the manner that you were created to be able to, to accomplish. You begin to think about those that um, not just in their, uh, even when a child is separated um, at birth from their parents. And I know culturally, uh, based on the environment that can have uh, impact on us and that we try to, we do things, we pick up mannerisms and we, we respond in certain ways. But you can even begin to see the direct, the direct result of just genes and how God has wired us and how, why we do certain things and how a person, even if they had been separated from their family and they go, they were maybe relocated with their family or they go back and meet their biological parents. And then when they had maybe had been adopted or, or a variety of things may have happened, and they, I mean, they act the same and they look very similar and they respond in certain ways. Even the fact they may have been raised by different parents, uh, by adopted parents potentially, uh, and how that it can drive through there. We'll just, and, and it just looks so similar, um, uh, despite the fact they weren't raised in the same home. But the fact that the genes and the way uh, they had been, uh, God had wired them together in the womb uh, from their biological parents has such a powerful impact on us in the same way spiritually that if the devil is your father you're going to look like him you're going to respond like him you're going to react like him and the true the same is true for those who are of god that have been born from above that you've been granted new a new desires new wants um uh, a new nature and so as a result of that you will respond in like manner so here's exactly what he's communicating there are two different families one as a family of God, that, uh, as a result, you are children of God. And then there's going to be a second family, and those will be the family of the devil, and you're going to be children of the devil. And so this is exactly what he's pressing them on as it relates to their, their language, that you do what your father does. If you go back to verse uh, 39 again, it says, They answered him, Abraham is our father, meaning we're children of God, right? So we're Abraham's descendants, and he was a friend of God. And as a result of that, then... This is what they're looking at, their lineage that was given, Abraham and Isaac and, uh, and Jacob and then Joseph. And the lineage has been given, of course, then Jacob's name was changed to Israel. Now we're the children of Israel. We're the children of God. And so we're God's people. This is what they're communicating by saying we're of Abraham. But then Jesus presses into that understanding and says, if he was genuinely your father, you would do the works that Abraham did. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you were children of God, you would be doing the works Abraham did. You would look like Abraham looked. You would respond the way Abraham responded. And how Abraham responded to God. Do you remember the story when the angel showed up and one of the angels wasn't an angel, right? One of the angels was God himself and they were warning Abraham. And what did, how did Abraham respond to God when, uh, to when God showed up, right? The pre-incarnate Christ when uh, he shows up before Abraham. Man, 
Abraham receives him. Abraham obeys him. Abraham lovingly hosts him. Abraham is, is, is far more receptive than these Jews are, right? They're rejecting Jesus. They'll eventually even say that he has a demon and he's a Samaritan. That'll be next week's message as we're looking at this. Are we not right in verse 48? Are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? That's not how Abraham responded when God showed up on the scene. Abraham believed. So much so that Abraham pleaded and prayed and trusted and asked God. He would spare Sodom and Gomorrah and would not destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. If he could just find a few righteous people, would God spare it? And of course, they could not find that. And so therefore, God judged Sodom and Gomorrah. But think about how Abraham responded. He says, listen, Abraham believed God when God spoke to him. Abraham received God when God came to him. Abraham trusted God when God spoke to him. And so as a result of this, this is not how they're responding. God has now come in the flesh in his incarnate flesh, the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says, and they now respond as children of the devil. Verse 40, but now you seek to kill me. Not what Abraham did. You seek to kill me. And a man has told you the truth that I, uh, a man who has told you the truth, speaking, Jesus speaking, I've told you the truth that I heard from God. And this is not what Abraham did. You are doing the works your father did. Now, how do they respond? Now, they're going to, they're going to, get a little sassy with him at this particular moment. And they said to him, we are not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. And what does that mean? What are they attempting to communicate? A couple things. Uh, one, I, I believe they are responding. So he's, Jesus is communicating that you're not of Abraham. You're not, you're, uh, Abraham is not your father. By, uh, maybe biologically, and like I said, he's already communicated. He buys that. He believes that in verse 37. Uh, so he's, it's not challenging their heritage, but he's challenging whether or not they're spiritual children. Whether or not they are the true Israel, as the Bible communicates. So they're not just physically born from Abraham, physically descendants of Abraham, but they're trusting the very word of God. And they're trusting the very son of God who stands before them. Of course, they are not. And even though they communicate that they believe him, as it, verse 30 says, uh, many have believed in him. The Jews, who, uh, in verse 31, as Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, um, and so he's challenging that, he's pressing on them to be able to see if they're going to remain in the truth. They're going to persist, and ultimately they do not. They're going to reject Jesus and uh, eventually crucify this Jesus. And so, but ultimately he's pressing on them the very language about whether or not they uh, know him. And so they respond, and then their response is, we're not born illegitimate. We're not born of sexual immorality. And you think, well, what does that have to do with anything? What are they communicating? And two primary things I think this is communicating. One, I believe it's a, it's a challenge at Jesus, right? Jesus was born of a virgin. Now, is that normative? Is that normal? No, right? And so what they're challenging is like, who are you? We know the stories. We've heard about you. We, we understand. Where's, and we, Joseph's not on the scene now. Many believe, many... Uh, uh, Historians and even Bible theologians believe that, that uh, Joseph had uh, long ago had already passed away. And so ultimately that the challenge and the questions and the stories that had come and had been handed down and had been given to them. They're challenging about uh, even your your birth was illegitimate. We challenge you. You're going to challenge us. And yet you, we don't even know where you 
came from. We don't even know who your true father is. They're always challenging about who his father is. And uh, we even in the previous section about the testimony um, in verse 19 of chapter 8, they said to him, therefore, where is your father? Where's your father? And so I think they're picking up on this same theme and they're challenging his legitimacy by communicating, hey, I mean, we don't know the real story about Mary. We don't know really what's going on in you. But for us, hey, we're going to tell you, we're not born of sexual morality. We're not born illegitimate. I mean, we're just challenging you, but all we're saying is that's not us. That could be an aspect of it. Uh, And that probably is where they're at. They're pressing him with that language since he's challenged them and their very identity. And two, the reality here is they're communicating that um, many times I believe, uh, or not many times, but I believe in this context, in this passage, uh, as it relates to uh, idol worship, uh, typically in idol worship or pagan worship, it related to some form of sexual immorality. As you would go through these various cultures, uh, they would have cult prostitutes, and so as a result of this, uh, they're communicating that ultimately they are not born, uh, and as a result of fornicated type of practices or they're related to pagan type of worship, we worship the one true living God. We have one Father, even God. And so Jesus is, going to, is, is pressing them about that. Well, then do you look like a child that's been born of God? Do you look like Abraham looked? Are you living the way Abraham looked? And the remainder of this passage is Jesus pressing them to be able to say, you say with your mouth you're a true descendant of Abraham, both physically and spiritually. Let's prove that to the test. Let's see which family you are a part of and which father you look more like based on your behavior. You can claim certain things, but then which one are you a part of? Which then leads to two fathers with two families that had two different kingdoms, right? There's two kingdoms that are at at work here. Uh, Two completely different strategies as it's coming at uh, their dominion and their power. Once again, Jesus is over God, the Father, and the Trinity is over both. And once again, we're not speaking of dualism here. But we are speaking there is a distinction between these two different fathers. There's a distinction between these two different families. And there's clearly a distinction between the kingdoms that they, they lead. And so ultimately God's kingdom would be a kingdom of light. That's how the, John speaks of it. He says that they are a kingdom of light. In John chapter 1 and verse 5, the very opening of this is uh, as it's communicating about who Jesus is. It says that uh, in verse 4, John 1, 4, in him in Christ was life, and life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And so this speaks of who Christ is and the, the, the uh, kingdom that he's bringing. If you skip all the way down to verse 9. The true light, which is Christ, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own uh, did not receive him. But all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And so this is the child, the children of God language here as it relates to the kingdom, right? He's the true light, which gives light to everyone, and he was coming into the world. And so those who do receive him, who do recognize who he is, will be called children of light or children of God. Verse 13, and who were uh, these children were given the right to become children of God, were born not of the blood, not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And so you begin to see that this is the kingdom of life. Verse 12 of back in John chapter 8, the chapter that we're in. John 8, 12. And Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. We talked about that passage just a couple weeks ago. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And so this is the whole point. Jesus is communicating there's a kingdom of light, and, and there's a kingdom of darkness. And this is not just unique to John and John's gospel. 
if you continue to look at all the epistles, this is the type of language that Paul is using and others are communicating about who, uh, which kingdom they are a part of. Are you a part of the kingdom of light or are you a part of the kingdom of darkness? And that's the second kingdom, kingdom of darkness. And this is exactly what's transpiring here. If they're in this, if they're going to follow Christ, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And so for those who don't follow him, they're going to be still apart and remaining in the family of the devil and of their father, who is the devil. And as a result, they're going to walk in the uh, they're going to walk in darkness. And this is exactly what John has said. We don't even have to go out of the Gospel of John to be able to see this. If you remember the story with Nicodemus, uh, the encounter that Nicodemus had with Jesus back in John chapter three and in verse nineteen, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light. Why? Because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to light, so it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. And so you see in this particular passage in in John 3, it's very clear if you're a follower of Jesus, you're going to want your works to be seen because why? You're doing what you've been asked to do. You're, at, you're responding in faith. And if you're not, you don't want your deeds to be exposed because it's going to demonstrate that you're not following God, you not trust his word, and you don't genuinely love him. And so that's the, the kingdom of light versus the kingdom of darkness. And so the kingdom of darkness hates the light. You see it again in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. It says, And you were dead in trespasses and sin, so ultimately, we're not in the kingdom of God. We must be born again. That's why we must be born from above. And so prior to becoming a Christian, we're in this kingdom. And you were dead in your trespasses of sin in which you once walked. Now he's, talk, he's talking to believers, so they were in this, and now they're not. They were following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air. That's the devil. The spirit that is now, is now at work and the sons of disobedience. There's the son family language. Among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body, and the mind, and were by nature children of, of wrath like the rest of mankind. And so the communication here is, once again, we walk in darkness, right? We, we don't respond the way the Bible would communicate that we should live. And then if you continue to go and that can, in that same passage in Ephesians, you're going to continue to see um, that this, uh, this light, darkness, all in Ephesians chapter 5 is going to come to light. Not, not for lack of time, I'm not going to uh, for spend that. You're going to see the two different kingdoms that are at work, the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness, which then leads us to then these kingdoms have two different agendas. There's two different agendas as it relates to these kingdoms. And there's, in this you're going to see these agendas um, are separate. There's a, the kingdom of darkness has an agenda. So that would be one agenda. And then the kingdom of light has one agenda. And so what are those agendas? And you'll see at least four different ways that these two different agendas are different. Uh, and so just from our very passage going up. So if you want to, I know you may have been flipping around with me. We're back in John chapter 8, verse 39 and following. Uh, and we'll be able to look at these and spend some time looking at the two different agendas. The first of the uh, two different agendas is you're going to see the difference between the light and darkness. And those are that one is a kingdom of life versus one is a kingdom of death. One's a kingdom of life versus one's a kingdom of death. You see this from the opening um, verse, uh, the opening are ver- two verses, 39 and 40. They answered him, Abraham's our father. So they're claiming to be a children of light, children of God, of the kingdom of light. 
and then uh, part of God's agenda. But Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works of Ab- that Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me. You seek to kill me as it's it's a kingdom of death versus a kingdom of life, which Jesus had just spoken uh, to them. And it's where this whole paragraph, where this whole interaction had trend, uh, began, verse 12, that ultimately he's the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of what? Life. So there's a distinction there between life. He's coming to bring life, and you want to kill me. I'm of the kingdom of life. My agenda is to bring life, to bring life from spiritual darkness, and to bring life from spiritual deadness, and yet you want to kill me. And he said, why would they want to do that? And this is where the, the whole conversation continues to go. And verse 43 helps us. Why do you understand what I say? It's because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. What was his desires? Well, he was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth. So he was a murderer from the beginning. Now you begin to think, well, when did the devil murder? When was the first, like, death, when did death first take place? And you may think back to Cain and Abel. And that's the first physical murder as far as human to human. But death had taken place long before that, did it not? And who was the one who was uh, behind all of that that would take place? The fall of man and spiritual death that would take place, and ultimately then physical death where uh, the animal had to be killed and clothing had to be provided for their nakedness to clothe them. And that all goes back to the very beginning, that the devil was a desire, had a desire to murder, had a desire to bring death from the very beginning. He does not stand in the truth. He was the one who was warping and the truth, he was, it was perverting the truth in, in, in the very mind of Eve to deceive her. And then the willful disobedience of Adam as well. And so who was behind all that? The devil. And so that's why it says he was a murderer from the beginning, does not stand in truth because there's no truth in him. When he lies, um, when he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he's a liar and the father of lies. And it's ultimately that's because he desires to bring death rather than life and you see the two agendas truth versus lies and we already kind of touched on that he was a murderer from the beginning does not stand in the truth it was going to go hand in hand god is truth god is life and as a result the devil is attacking uh, the truth because why he desires to bring about death and the way to do so is to uh, pervert the truth and so ultimately truth versus lies and so verse 40 now you seek to kill me so you say you're of god here's the Looking at the agenda, well, you say you're of, of God, you should be of, for life, and you should be for truth, but yet you're not. You're trying to kill me. That's not life. That's death. And you don't abide in the truth. Now you seek to kill me, verse 40. Uh, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God, this is not what Abraham did. Abraham responded to the truth. He welcomed uh, the angels who were messengers. He welcomed God when he came to earth and, uh, in his pre-incarnate form. And he communicated to Abraham. Abraham was res- responded well to truth. And yet, you're not looking like Abraham did at all. You're not responding the way Abraham responded in the least. And so yet, you, you're responding more like the devil responds. You're responding more like the father of lies responds. And it's because why? You're of your father, the devil. And that he did not stand in truth because there's no truth in him. And when he lies, he speaks out of his, his own character. For he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell the truth... You do not believe me. And so that's not what Abraham did. So if you say you're born from above, you've been 
regeneration has taken place, the new birth has taken place, then you should respond to truth. And yet, you cannot bear the truth. What he said in verse 43, why do you not understand what I say? It's because you cannot bear to hear my words. Why can I not bear to hear his words? Because they're not of, they don't have the nature of God. This is what's so interesting, and I, this is a caution to parents and to even friends and uh, to family members and to anyone that you may be able to transpire. And when you're talking to your children about, man, I just wish it was more entertaining for my children. Now we're not trying to make it where it's not absolutely boring, but here's the reality. If a person doesn't love God and the person is not a child of God and doesn't have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit that enables them uh, and grants them a new, des- new desires to be able to hear the Word of God and understand the Word of God, then they don't, they, don't, they don't want to bear the Word of God. They don't like it. They don't desire it. And so many times parents will be like, well, I'd rather go here. I'd rather go there. I'd rather uh, make it where my kids want, want to come. Well, the reality is we're just playing games at that moment, moment because until they're born again, they're not going to want the truth. And if they don't want the truth, they're not going to be aided by that. And so the reality is we should be discipling them at home, at the gatherings, and so at church where we gather together uh, in the truth. Because why? It's important. There's, you only have two options. You're the, of the Father, uh, of God the Father, or of the fa- uh, your devil's the Father, your Father. And so there's only two spiritual fathers that you can have. And so we need to be mindful of that as we're walking through, we're teaching, and we're encouraging and challenging our children. And as even beyond that, you may have family members or or friends, or loved ones, as you're communicating to them, and, and you're, they're, uh, you're, you may not see a lot of fruit in their lives, and as you're communicating the truth to them, the reality is they don't seem to receive it. And the reality is, is that it may be at that particular moment they're just hardened by sin in that particular area, you need to call them, call them out and challenge them there and pray for them. But if it's a continued rebellion to the truth, a continued resistance to the truth, at some point we need to be able to ask them, uh, is God their father or is, are they of their father the devil? Because why? And just as he's told them here, you're of your father the devil, the devil, and it's because why? They wouldn't receive truth. This is why a church can uh, practice church discipline. It's because when confronted with truth and confronted in truth in a loving manner, in a, in a gracious manner, in a kind manner, uh, and it's loving because we want them to, to repent of that particular sin, when, the whole, when it's an individual and they do it one-on-one privately as the Bible communicates, then if that's not received, they bring two witnesses and all the, all the facts are established and they too warn the person and it's brought to the church and then the church is a whole church body warns them to turn from this particular sin and then eventually they won't return from that sin. Eventually the church would excommunicate them. What the church is communicating is, we don't believe you're a Christian. Now we can't necessarily say we speak for God, but all that we can see based on what the Bible tells us uh, about your true nature is that you don't love God because you don't want to stand and walk in the truth. Why can they? Why can we make statements like this? It's because of passages like this. Why? Why do you not understand what I say? It's because you cannot bear to hear my word. We want to caution people if they're walking in unrepentant, rebellious uh, attitudes and actions. That we want to caution that. We want to encourage them to repent because why? We don't want them going to hell when they die. We're not the final judge on all this, but we're an earthly means of bringing warning before they would stand for the final judge, God himself, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so who is going to judge the living and the dead? And so as we're walking through this, this process, we want to be cautioning people. Are you desirous for the word? And when you're, and it's amazing, you can see, if, finish the sermon. Uh, and it happens many, many weeks or a, a Sunday school lesson. And one 
you might have a communication with this person or this person, and it's like, man, that was the most boring thing I've ever heard, and I just, it was completely, I didn't, I didn't hear it, I didn't understand it. And then the other person says, man, I was sitting on the edge of my seat, and I could barely pay attention. Uh, I mean, I could barely, I, I felt like you were just only here for like 30 seconds, and you were done, and just the sermon was over. And why is the difference? Well, there can be a variety of things uh, that's not spiritually related, but there can be, but at the same time, if that's your, your reaction every single week that you're just completely bored out of your mind, then the reality is, is that is, now I could be a boring pastor, but then we do mix it up. And Pastor Tim teaches certain weeks, and I teach different weeks, and we teach them different times. And so I don't think it's, if, it's, if it's the same every week, then the reality is not the teaching styles of either one of us. It may be you can't bear the word, bear to hear the word. And there could be a, a, a spiritual, uh, it might be an indicator spiritually of where a person is at. And so not just simply, I'm not speaking just to you, but I'm speaking to prepare you as you're having conversations with individuals that ultimately do they they are they walking in truth or are they walking in lies and this is not only true for how they receive the word but how they speak if a person's just a pathological liar right they just constantly it's easy to tell the uh, 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 untruth or a lie as it is to tell the truth men and women we're not to walk that way right this is exactly where these jews these religious leaders are going to go at the end Right? They're going to lead others and they're going to encourage others to speak untruths about Jesus so they can crucify him. And they are successful in that. And so life versus death, truth versus lies, uh, lies, love versus hate. Love versus hate. Verse 42, Jesus said to them that they were communicating. They were not born in sexual matter. We have one father, even God. And so Jesus now they moved, they intensified the argument, not just Abraham's our father, <clears throat> but just for clarity, we want to make sure you understand, uh, we're saying God is our father, right? And Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me, for I came from God and I am here. And I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. You would love me. You have a love for for everything that is of God. And I am not just of God. I am God. And so if you say you're your father who is God. Then you're saying you're of me. And yet. They are trying to kill him. They don't love him. They hate him. And they've hated him. Once again it all started. It goes all the way back to John chapter 5. Verse 18. This uh, verse 17. Jesus answered them. My father is working until now. And I am working. And this is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Because not only, not, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath. Uh, and that's not true as far as the Levitical laws. He was breaking the Sabbath. But according to their rabbinical laws, their traditions, that he was breaking the Sabbath. But he was even calling himself, his, uh, calling God his own father. Making himself equal with God. Which is true. He is God. And so at the same time, they hate him. They hate the things of God. And so ultimately, it's as the more you grow in your relationship with God, the more you're going to realize that even self-professing believers may begin to hate you because there's so much truth and there's so much light in you. Now, I want to be careful to make you don't hear well, so much truth. And so you just become this legalistic, hard, kind of bristly person to be around. No, I think you can increase in truth and increase in love and be gracious and, and amiable to others as you talk to them and you can be kind in your approach uh, but yet you're wanting to walk in truth. And, and so you're wanting to speak in truth. And it can, can bring completely distinctive, distinctive differences in people. I was, uh, uh, 
I love to talk with people when and they ask me, I'll ask them how they're doing, and they'll ask me how I'm doing. And I'll say, oh, I can't complain, plus complaining is a sin, and nobody wants to hear it anyway. And it's amazing how, and I, this is something I just say regularly, but it's amazing how if you say that to a person who normally complains, how they immediately take offense at that. Right? Are you talking about me? Do I need to talk about you? Let's talk about you then. Are you, are you a complainer? Uh, but it's amazing how just a statement, right? Or, you know, I say, uh, uh, can't complain, plus nobody likes a complainer anyway, right? Uh, and so and you just have to make those comments and how people respond, and they'll kind of respond briskly because it's like, well, are you complaining? Uh, is that your, a natural response of who you are? Are you feeling critiqued by a statement? I'm not making I say it to everybody. I'll say it to the, the person at Target or the person at Walmart or the person at Publix or the person wherever I'm at. Um, it doesn't really matter. And, but the reality is how people will, will respond to that and how uh, almost kind of uh, take offense to that. And they kind of hate that you pointed out a certain area in your life. And I'm trying to, I'm just speaking to me. That's me how I'm doing. It's like, well, I'm not going to complain. It'd be a sin to do so. And nobody likes to complain or so I'm not going to complain. Um, and so that's just a response. But then how immediately it can be a, a hatred toward that. And then how much do you just pay attention to our culture and how there's a hatred toward uh, uh and, and intolerance, despite the fact that our, our culture uh, loves tolerance, except where it comes to Christianity, correct? And so think about how much intolerance there is toward uh, homosexual marriage, right? How much intolerance there is to pro-life, as much intolerance there is to uh, the transgendered debate that's going on, uh, to be able to, to decisively say that this person is male or this person is female, um, uh, Knowing and being able to stand on the truth, isn't it? Yeah. You might can navigate for some time without having somebody be offended by a, a genuine um, biblical claim because God is my father. I'm a part of his family. I'm a part of his kingdom and his kingdom is light. And so I'm going to speak what is true. And I've got an agenda of life and truth and love. And out of love, I'm going to communicate what is true about what the Bible says. At the same time, they don't want to hear what you have to say. Right. And there can be. Uh, an imbalance on that. They say they want tolerance and they want to tolerate other people until they don't. your message comes, a biblical message comes, and they don't want to tolerate that. And so um, love versus hate, and you'll begin to see people who say they are all about love, how unbelievably hateful they can be, right? Um, and you've even seen this in the protests, right? They want to, everyone wants to be able to protest until somebody protests something that you don't like. And then we must stop them, whatever the cost, in the protest. And it's just, it's not, it's not a balanced agenda. Uh, it's, not, it's not a uh, well-thought-out process when you begin to think, well, I, want to, I don't want my liberties to be infringed upon, but I clearly want somebody else's liberties to be infringed upon. And that's kind of the argument, right? We want to have tolerance, but we, we're intolerant of anyone who doesn't think the way we think. Now, why? That's a hateful approach. Uh, the loving approach is, I'm not going to tell you you can't speak. I'm going to tell you you're wrong uh, and, and lovingly tell you you're wrong because I, I care for you. Uh, but ultimately, uh, my desire is to warn you because I know there's only, you're only of one of two fathers. You're either of God or you're of the devil, which leads to the last, last of the two agendas. Is there an agenda of a belief or agenda of unbelief? And this is where he says in verse 45 through 47, but because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? Point out my sin to me. Show, me. show me where I've sinned against God. Not just transgressed your man-made traditions and laws, but which one can actually point out a legitimate sin as the Bible defines it? 
If I tell the truth, why do, you do not, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. You will not believe. Right? And so there's, there's an ignorance that happens uh, that leads to unbelief. And then there's a, an unbelief that's a stance that leads to willful ignorance. And so the key for us as we're sharing, you need to know the distinction. You need to know the difference. As we're sharing with individuals and as you're communicating with individuals, there's, enough, there's people who don't have enough truth to be able to be warned, and when they had the truth, they receive it. So that would be like the Samaritan woman. She wasn't unbelief that was an, an unbelief that led to uh, a willful ignorance, but there was an unbelief that, that was there that when given the right information, there was a repentance, right? And there was an appearance that, man, she goes and tells the entire Samaritan village and it appears like um, that entire village comes to faith in Christ. But then you have a difference where you have a willful, uh, a willful unbelief, I mean a willful ignorance because of unbelief. There was a stance of unbelief. We're not going to believe you regardless of what you say. We're going to give an argument. Regardless, we're going to even challenge your, your, your birth and whether or not you have a legitimate uh, birth because why we don't we don't want to believe you, and so there is an uh, uh, ignorance that's due to willful unbelief, and so that's exactly what's tra- taking place here. Which leads to then the last two two different responses, two different responses, and two responses are simple: they either receive Christ, right, and as a result of receiving Christ, they legitimately are giving the right. Right to become children of God, as John one twelve says, or they reject Christ. And that's where, all throughout the Gospel of John, the judgments come because the light has come into the world, and they've rejected that light. So you either receive Christ or you reject Christ. And and to be cautious about, to be careful here, is that many will say they receive Christ. Many, many, many will say they receive Christ. The key here is that are they is their stance constantly about the reception of Christ. Well, do you do what he says? And this, this go, harkens back. I don't want to separate these sermons out just because we're preaching them separately. Go back to the sermon that Pastor Tim just preached. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. You will abide. You will remain in my words. As truth is continuing to be, be given, do they continue to walk in it? Are they open to it? Are they receptive to be taught? Are they receptive to be instructed? Are they receptive uh, to be... Um, encouraged in the world to be held accountable by the word or are they resistant to it listen i prayed to receive christ at this particular age and i was baptized and i was a part of this church and i'm you know and as a result now i'm so i'm good why are you keep pressing on me as if there's something wrong with me and it's like well i'm not pressing on you because i think there's something wrong with you i think we battle sin and the bible encourages that we should grow in our knowledge of god and we should continue to love him and that we should be holy because he is holy and he uh, desires to see Christ will purify himself just as Christ is pure, First John says. And so we don't practice sin. We don't walk in sin. And so I think there's a, a reason that God's given us his Holy Spirit, the word and the family of, uh, family of God is to aid us, to help us in this process called sanctification if we're genuinely Christians. And so the key here isn't just whether or not somebody says they've received Christ. That's the whole context of this passage. Right? As he was saying these things, many believed in him, verse 30. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, or at least said they believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And so they're saying they believe in him, and now just a few, uh, a few moments later, they're going to say in verse 40, uh, 48, 
Are you, are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Wait, I thought you said you believed in him. And now he's a Samaritan, an enemy, and has a demon. Which is it? Right? Well, how fickle we can be when we're confronted with truth. And so this is the reality. I'm not asking whether or not you said you received Christ. I'm saying, are you constantly in the, the posture and position of reception of whatever Christ would have you to know and to learn and to grow? And that's what you know, we need to be aware of, which leads to our conclusion. Our conclusion. Now, I want you to think about this from a variety of different places. I think many times you should listen for you. And I think that's where you begin self-examination, right? That's for every person in this room. You only have two options. Father is God. Our father is the devil. Only two families, right? You're either a child of God or a child of the devil. Two kingdoms. Either you're in the light or you're in darkness. You have two agendas. Ultimately, you're about hate. You're about death. You're about lies, right? You're about unbelief or you're the opposite of all of those things as we've, we've talked about and we've discussed. Either you have received Christ and are walking in Christ or you said you've received Christ and you really genuinely haven't and you've rejected Christ. We need to be looking at that self-examination. Okay, but I also want us to look at it through a second lens and then we're going to apply these three things. If you're a parent in this room, I'm a parent of four. I desire for all four of my children to be saved, but I'm, I'm not enough. Just like some supposed profession of faith at some particular moment in time, dunk them in the baptistry and I don't think about it any longer. I see not, it's not at all how Jesus is communicating here in this passage. They're saying they believe in him. And so for many of us, it's like, oh, great, check. And now let's go do everything else, let's play sports, and let's be involved in school, and let's do all the things that we really need to do while we're here on this planet. And then, but you're good. I'm glad you're good. I know you're good. You know you're good. Everybody's good. That's not at all how Jesus is communicating that this should go down. You should abide in my word. Do they love the word of God? And if you're having to drag them to Bible reading time and drag them to church and drag them, we really need to take serious stock of whether they love God. Because ultimately, listen, I know it's not, we don't like to think about it. I don't like to think about it in certain ways. You ever think my children will die and not be with me in heaven. My children would, could die and go to hell. I know you may not like to think about that, but what's worse that it actually happens. I know you're not responsible to save them. You can't make them be converted can't make them be born again. But I think we can be more, more mindful of the fact that this is real. There really is a heaven. There really is a hell. There really is two families, two fathers, two kingdoms, two agendas. And these are your options. It's all the only two options you have. And so we can play like spiritual games and how we word certain things so that we all feel better about ourselves. Or when we're with family members, where we're friends, with friends, we really are concerned and cautious about where they're going to spend eternity. And so as a parent... As a family member, even as a pastor, I need to be paying attention to things. As church members to one another, we need to be paying attention to these things because the, John says in, the, in, the, in his epistle, uh, John's going to write in First John, they went out from us to demonstrate they weren't really of us. So he understands exactly what's taking place in here in the life of Jesus in the context of the New Testament church. There are many who are going to profess to believe Christ who aren't in Christ. And so as an individual with self-examination, but then also as a family member, as a friend, as a parent, as a pastor, as church members, as and whatever hats you're wearing, as coworkers, neighbors, and a variety of other things that's in your and in yours and in my sphere of influence, we need to be thinking about how this passage plays out, right? Why, why, why we need to understand there's all these two fathers, two families, and so on and so forth. Why do we need to understand this? Because number one, 
a verbal profession of faith is not synonymous with genuine faith. Just because somebody says they're a Christian doesn't mean they are a Christian. Now we get that. You get that. But then we do weird, funny things with how we think about loved ones. And we do weird and funny things with how we, we think about confronting things, as Pastor Tim was, was teaching in our small group this morning, that really matter. We'll confront all the things that, that are helpful and beneficial and uh, careful in, in a variety of ways. Imagine this. Like if you have a, a child that's nearing driving age and how much instruction you gave because of how serious driving is. Near dating age, and you have the sex conversation, and warn them or prepare them about the dangers of, of the relationships that they could have. And those are important. I would not criticize in any way, shape, or form those type of discussions. They need to be had, and they're not being had enough. Not just outside the family of God, but in the, in the context of the family of God. How foolish are we to warn about those things that are temporal? And not warn about the things that are eternal. Really caution. And for us, if you're a young person in this room or an older person in this room and a self-professing Christian, your supposed profession of faith, if you don't love the things of God, I, I caution you to be examining yourself. Because there's a numerous host of people that when they get outside of their own family who took them to church, and it wasn't an option to go to church. And when they had an option to go to church, they go off to college, they go off to a variety of other places. They don't go anymore. What does that reveal? They had a commitment to the youth group. They didn't have a commitment to Christ. They had a commitment to their parents to do what their parents told them to do. They didn't have a, a genuine commitment to the word of God and the family of God. And so a verbal profession of faith isn't synonymous, isn't equal with genuine faith. It's what we see in this passage. They say they believe in him. And Jesus says to them who believe in him, then you need to abide in my words. And if you do, you'll be set free. And all of a sudden it offends them that they need to be set free from something. We're good. What do we need to be set free from? Well, sin. You can call me a sinner. Abraham's my father. And here's the conversation that we're in today. So a verbal profession of faith is not synonymous with Genuine faith. You start speaking truth. You start confronting sin. You start holding people accountable to what the Bible says. You, 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 will be, you will be criticized that you're a cult. That's what will happen. Number two, a careful examination of self-professing Christians is modeled and mandated in the Bible. That's what Jesus is doing here. A careful examination of a self-professing Follower of his. They weren't called Christians at this particular time. But they say they're, they believed in him. They said they were going to be followers of him. That's what he's communicating. Whoever follows me, follows me, will not walk in darkness, will have the light of life. That's what he just said in this context. Verse 12 of John 8. They say they believe in him. So the self-professing follower of Christ. We're going to follow you. We walk in light, the light of life. And so then he, he examines that. It's modeled by Christ, and it's mandated in the Bible. This is why we have. This is exactly why we have a church discipline process. Why Jesus instructed his disciples to have a church discipline process is because we're mandated in the Bible to have careful examination of self-professing Christians. That's not an evil thing to do. And lastly, a biblical description of genuine faith is described in the Bible for our benefit. 
biblical description of genuine faith is described in the Bible for our benefits. What the last portion of this passage is about. You will love me, right? You will receive truth. You will receive Christ. You won't hate the truth. You won't hate people. You will love. You'll love life. You'll love truth. You'll believe Christ, right? Not the opposite. You don't want individuals to die. You won't share lies or believe lies. You won't hate things. You won't, as far as hating the things of God, you won't walk in a staunch unbelief. And it all goes back to then where we began. You begin to, you, you have the very nature of your father. This is why Jesus said, verse 44, you are of your father, the devil, and your will what you will to do is your father's desires. And that's true in the opposite as well. That was speaking Jesus to them about you want to do what your father the devil does. He's a murderer and you want to murder me. And they will. Six months from that moment, they're going to murder Jesus. And they're going to lie about him. And they're going to lie about him in order to murder him. They don't stand in the truth. Well, the same is true for those who are Christians. You take on the desire of your father. And that's why we must be born again. That's why we beg God. We turn to God. We trust God because we know we can't do it in our own power. You can't make yourself love the word. Oh, you can read it. You can systematically check it off as you would read any book that you don't want to read. I mean, you can't understand it. But fundamentally, you, you'll have a desire to not only know it, but to obey it, to trust it, and to love it, and to share it with others because you see how important it is. And so just a a sobering day for us to look at the reality of false conversions and for us to take a serious assessment of ourselves, right, and of our households and of our, our relationships that we begin to really look at it. There's only two options that people have. There's only two families. Either God is your father or the devil is your father. And not to shame us. I don't hear, I don't want you to hear any type of shame. I, I know I need to be sharing the gospel more. It's like when you preach a sermon on prayer. I know I should be praying more. I need to pray that God help me to pray more, right? And not to shame you. But if we do have a serious, have a serious understanding there is only two options for people and not get distracted by all the things that desire to pull our hearts in different directions and keep the mindset and the focus of, of that, then yes, work and work hard. Yes, play and play hard. Yes, enjoy life. Yes, go to movies and do all the things. I mean, I'm not criticizing any of those other things. What I'm saying is do those with an eternal perspective. Do that with, as you're walking around and you're thinking about people and being gracious with people and being mindful of people. And when you say comments that you're not meaning to be taken offensive and it starts a spiritual conversation, walk in it. Be mindful that you could be the very means that God is using to bring truth to that person when you, that you stand in front of. And if you're a mom and a dad, if you're a husband or a wife, if you have family, family members, that men and women, we, we have a mandate. We need to be sharing with them. And they rise up when they walk about, when they go to sleep. Inside the house, outside the house, before they go to bed, after they wake up, we should be teaching them the truth. And so we have an importance to be able to do so. 
when they don't want to know the truth and when they're completely bored at family devotional time, this is the good opportunity that maybe not right then in front of everyone to pull them off to the side and begin to ask, how come it doesn't seem like you're really interested in the word? What's going on in your heart? How do you, what do you think of Jesus? That's conversation always the most easy, but they are important. And so I just encourage us to be thinking about this because nothing is more important than where we will spend eternity. Let's pray together. Father. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing the Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChumpaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus.